So the primary means that God has provided to let us know who he is, who he says he is, is that he has left us with this book. This book, which is a spirit-inspired, and it is a history of all his redeeming acts. And where Jesus Christ is concerned, historical facts are prophesied before they take place, so that when they actually come to pass, we know that his word is trustworthy and true. That's how we learn to trust our parents. They do what they say they're going to do, and so does God. The Old Testament, years before the event, points like a laser beam to the baby born in a manger to a virgin and to the child whose star is seen by the wise men and to the young man whose baptism in the River Jordan the church celebrates today on this first Sunday after Epiphany. This Jesus who is not a, but the revelation of God the Father. And Isaiah is chief of the prophets that God uses to announce his intentions and his plans before they come to pass. In the first half of his prophetic word, Isaiah describes, he laments, he condemns the fatal sin illness of the people of God and the consequences of their addiction to idols, all kinds of idols, but particularly the idol of self. Because they do not listen and repent, God uses the pagan nations of Assyria and Babylon to chasten his people for their sins. And I cannot help but wonder sometimes whether God is using our own pagan nation, our nation which once was a Christian nation under God, indivisible, now a nation divided and surely, sorely in the grip of his own idolatries and power struggles to chasten the church for acquiescing to the spirit of the age, for the church's feeble witness to the spirit, to the truth of his mercy and love, and to call us to repentance, and a new submission to his spirit, and a new commitment to pray, both for our church and for our nation. It's all pretty grim. Then, in Isaiah's day, and now. God's people, then and now, held captive by far more than pagan nations. God's people held captive by their own sinfulness. And even the horror of captivity and exile, which God's people experienced back then, cannot turn the people of God from their own self-serving lifestyles. It can't free them. It can't change their heart. In fact, God's people begin to like it over there in Babylon. The men are tall. The women are beautiful. The food is good. There are job opportunities. So they put down roots and they raise families and they prosper. And what's the big deal about God anyway? And so we come to today's gospel reading, the gospel according to Isaiah. The gospel according to Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Behold, my servant, in whom I delight, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Great, thank you. Whenever God says, behold, sit up and pay attention. He means listen up. He's about to tell us something important. And this morning what he has to say is that not only is a Messiah coming to rescue us who don't even realize the trouble we're in, but he's going to tell us what that Messiah will be like. 
He's not going to be a warmonger. He's going to be a peacemaker. He's not going to be a narcissist, but a servant of others. He's certainly not going to be a negotiator because there is no negotiation when it comes to God's truth. And when he comes, there will be no political haranguing to raise a budget for his support because he will be upheld by God himself who says, I will put my spirit on him. And when he comes, this king and conqueror of all that is wrong in the world, with his strange and seemingly counterproductive calling to serve rather than dominating, we are told that he will bring forth justice to the nations, and unheard of in our day and age without doing the first thing to toot his own horn, advance his agenda, give himself name recognition, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. One of my sons got married this fall, and in my family are now three small stepsisters and brothers learning to live together, and it is not going well, as I discovered when I invited them over recently for the delightful and, I admit, self-serving task of making chocolate chip cookies. All in the name of justice, there was much crying aloud and lifting up of voices all the way out to the street. I want to crack the eggs. She always gets to go first. He never lets me have a turn. It's not fair. And truth be told, these small children are not the only ones around who want to break all the eggs and go first, are they? <laughs> who feel life is not fair who fear there may not be enough love to go around. The servant of whom Isaiah prophesies will not simply make things fair. He is making things new and whole because there is more than enough love to go around, as we sang this morning. More than enough love for all people, for all things. No one, no thing left out. No one, no thing too insignificant. No one, no thing too far gone. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Maybe you're a bruised reed this morning, and maybe this word for all of creation is specifically for you as you struggle with some disappointment and some apparent dead end. Unlike Moses, that first great deliverer of God's people who got so exasperated with the people that he threw down and broke the very tablets on which God wrote with his finger, this servant Messiah will not grow faint or be discouraged. Who would not grow weary? Who would not grow weary? I sometimes am overcome with weariness, so fed up with myself so discouraged that I am so prone to wander, so forgetful of prayer, so unloving of my neighbor. Who would not grow weary and discouraged with the church, which has become chief among sinners in the department of showing God's glory? Sometimes it all seems too far gone, beyond repair, impossible, which of course is the whole point. It is impossible, brothers and sisters, as long as we're in charge, which, of course, is Isaiah's message and the point of the gospel. We are not in charge. 
The Apostle Paul says it as well as anyone. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now what if the Spirit descended upon this servant and which he promises to us is given free reign to demonstrate that what is impossible with man is possible with God? Because God tells us through Isaiah, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Come on, Lord. One more. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. God's got this plan, brothers and sisters. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. This is good news, but how can it come to be? Any reasonable person might ask incredulously. Well, God says, because I say so. Don't you hate it when you were a little kid and your parents said, because I say so. But this is good news for us. Behold, says God, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. I think Isaiah himself would have rejoiced exceedingly with great joy had he been alive to see the baby born, to see the child worshipped, to see the man baptized in the Jordan River, his word from centuries before the birth of Jesus lands us straight in Luke's gospel, the Jordan River, where people are being baptized. And when Jesus wades into the water, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And Isaiah's thinking, yes, I got it right. I heard it. But then he would have his breath taken away to see the accuracy of his prophecy that even as the Messiah would be despised and rejected by men, he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. And by his stripes, we would be healed. And how might Isaiah have marveled that from this astonishing servant who would empty himself of his rights and privileges and enter human history, who would yield his power to bullies, who would seem so inconsequential to the future of the world, this surprising, authoritative promise, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not yield my glory to another. And how might Isaiah have scratched his head as he came to see that God would work his purposes out to the very ones who are so quick to admire the idols of this world, to the very ones he came to save. That he would delight in us, that his spirit would fall on us, and the lives that we live and the ways that we love, these would be the only way he would establish his glory in all the world. Dabo Sweeney comes to mind. A man with more reason than most to indulge in a little worship of self, to pat himself on the back. This coach, whom God has positioned in life to fan the flames of what 
some might observe in South Carolina would be called the idol of college football, the idol whose favorite colors are orange and purple, who, whether he wins or loses, points to the God he serves, who said this week he does not measure success by winning a national championship. I want to be judged by how my boys turn out and the impact they make on their marriages, their communities, their societies. He's a coach at the top of his game. He's large and in charge, but he's a servant. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. And you and I might not be as large and in charge as Dabo is, but God the Father calls us beloved, and he has given us his spirit to demonstrate that with God nothing is impossible. Our influence might not extend very far, maybe just to a neighbor or a grandchild or a wayward child, all precious in God's sight, all in need of his love and mercy. Through us to show his glory on the football field and in the halls of power and in your own family when all hell is breaking loose and when you're teaching your class of middle schoolers or hanging out with your friends or working for the homeless or managing your broken relationships or lying useless in a hospital bed. His glory revealed as we live our lives together in service to the one who first served us and never to grow weary or discouraged, no matter how bleak things look, no matter how hard things are, because in the most amazing way of all, his glory is especially bright and compelling in our weakness. And so perhaps the prophet Isaiah has his eye on you and me this morning as he considers the trustworthiness of God his measureless love, and his magnificent plan of redemption. From the Gospel of Isaiah, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. From the Gospel of Luke, The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And from the mouth of the servant king himself, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So, as the men of St. James sing every Friday morning at breakfast, ever since I have been at St. James, brother, sister, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. And pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant 